the episode you are about to hear was created prior to our rebranding to Foul Play. If you have any information on any of our cases, you can visit us at itsfoulplay.com. does LSD fit into the program? I know you mentioned LSD a few minutes ago. One of my recent papers is called, uh, I think it's called LSD Experiments by the U.S. Army. And it's a, a detailed history of, uh, so the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, and the CIA all did LSD experiments. And these included uh, uh, under MKUltra and related programs. And basically what they were doing is trying to figure out if LSD could be used in interrogations to soften somebody up so that they would give you information. And some of the experiments, this is in the documents, very in detail, they explicitly say that they were trying to either erase memories or implant false memories. And the 1975 General Counsel for the U.S. Army at a Senate committee hearing released a list of about 125 different compounds that the Army had tested for mind control purposes. So many, 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 many different compounds, including a, a BZ, letter B, letter Z, which was a kind of super LSD that put you on a acid trip. The, the movie Jacob's Ladder opens with a combat scene in Vietnam, and the soldiers are like completely tripped out, just looking around and completely disoriented. And in the course of the movie, it comes up that they had been dosed with BZ which is a fictional movie, but has been out in the public domain for many decades. Well, LSD is only like the tip of the iceberg. We asked some of the survivors if they had questions that they would like us to discuss with you. Gemma, I'll let you ask the first one. Okay. And before I do this, I want uh, both Dr. Ross and our listeners to know that the reason Shane and I began to look into the MKUltra facet of this is because of Jean Wayner, who is Jane Doe. And Dr. Ross, you saw her almost a, um, the whole episode two of her talking yeah. about yeah, what happened to her. So she is the one that really uh, started us thinking in that direction. And I know she's listening to every word you have to say because she and the women that uh, sent me questions, they really do believe they were programmed. And they believe right now, at least one of them, that Dr. Christian Richter, who was the gynecologist that Maskell took girls to for surgical procedures that in a Catholic hospital would have been illegal. They were billed as DNCs, but they turned out to be abortions. One of the women has told us that he trafficked her to NSA, uh, excuse me, NASA in Alabama and to a hospital in Boston where he demonstrated a shock box that he had invented. She was eight years old, and this continued until she was 14. 
her parents were compensated. Now, she came from a really dysfunctional family, but her parents were compensated, and they moved to Alabama for the six years that Richter, and she calls it her team of handlers, were working with her. So um, she totally believes this happened. And so I have questions from the women that we know from Keogh. The first one says, when I was in my 20s, I was missing large gaps in my personal history. I could not remember whole years. I thought it was due to trauma. I was sent to a ritual abuse doctor in the 90s. He agreed I was ritually sexually abused. Nobody could help me. I used to get waves of feelings of wanting to kill myself. I could not recognize my own hand if I was laying in bed. I thought I had killed somebody. I felt guilt. Then I was taught that fake memories could have been implanted with fake pictures. Is this what false memory syndrome is? So that's a little complicated, but I can answer. So she's describing amnesia, which is one of the main uh, association symptoms. And then not recognizing your own hand, that's depersonalization, which is another one of the main dissociation symptoms. So there's definitely a bunch of dissociation going on. And it's not just a few little blips because she's missing a couple of years there. And if she gets uh, these waves of feelings, which are obviously coming from inside her somewhere, it's not just that she is going, oh, my life is bad. I think I might kill myself. It's intruding into her as a wave that feels like it's not coming from her, which it obviously is. It's intruding from somewhere else in her mind. Therefore, it's been dissociated or disconnected. So she also has dissociated, disconnected feelings and impulses. So that's a fairly complex amount of dissociation going on. The false memory syndromes, it just is what it says. You have a bunch of memories and they're false. They never happened. What are the possible causes of false memory syndrome? One could just be normal memory error. Another could be you went to, this is the, the false memory syndrome foundation says, you go see a therapist and the therapist asks you all these leading suggestive questions and reinforces the idea that you have separate people inside and you end up with a, it's called a iatrogenic, meaning created by the therapist or the doctor. So you end up kind of creating this DID just to kind of cooperate with the therapist or the doctor. You believe it's real. You believe the memories are real, but they've just been suggested to you by leading questions and then your mind has kind of built a picture. That's usually how they describe false memory syndrome. But another way that false memories could be created is on purpose to cover up either abuse or a military or an intelligence program. So uh, this is all psychologically possible, but obviously I, I can't prove it or disprove it. Mm -hmm. Now she was, um, I should have said this, but she was sexually abused by Father Joseph Maskell, who was the chaplain at our high school, right. as, as well as some other men who um, he hypnotized her, he drugged her with some liquid, and right. um, other men paid to come in actually into the school building. He had a fire door at the back of his office, and she remembers pieces of being abused by other men. Right. So she has, for 
for most of her life, she was not able to even talk about this. And it's only been in the last few years that she's been able to articulate what happened to her. And she really believes that she was programmed so that right. if she talked about it, she would, she would kill herself. Is that so I, a possibility? I, yes, and I'll talk about programming here for a second. But okay. just to back up a step, so what she's describing is an organized pedophile ring. So right. we, we know for absolute fact that child pornography is like a billion-dollar industry in the United States. Perpetrator rings of like 60, 78 busted. It's in the news. They have all the videos, email traffic. So it's a fact that organized pedophile rings are numerous and lots and lots and lots of money spent on them. And some unknown huge number of children have been abused. Not five, not 10, not a couple hundred. It's either thousands or tens of thousands or possibly millions of children. It's a big number. Absolute fact, FBI would say, yes, that's true. So if we forget the MKUltra and the LSD part of it, and we just listen collectively to all the women who've testified or talked to you, there's clearly more than one priest involved. Correct. So the only, the only options are it's all false memories, 100%, or multiple priests were involved. Obviously, I think multiple priests were involved. So that is already... 100% guaranteed a pedophile ring. Now the question becomes, okay, so we've got an institution, church, that's done this massive cover-up, denial, stalling, and we've got the priests in who are being transferred around, the same story we hear all the time, and Father Maskell's just another example. They don't discipline them, they don't kick them out, they transfer them around, they cover them up, they won't release any of the documents. And then when we hear the accounts from the women, it's this really, really twisted, contorted mixture of God, love, the church, sexual abuse, it's your fault, you're a slut, you're a whore, I'm the good guy, you know, God wants you to do this for me. It's so distorted and twisted and mixed up. Mm -hmm. So we think people like that would not be involved in a more organized outside ring would never stoop to bringing a few of the guys in. Why would anybody think that? So it's completely plausible. In terms of the CIA, the military, the government, NASA being involved, again, I can't prove it. Nobody can disprove it. But all these elements of programming, that is hypnosis, drugs, memorization expert exercises, codes being implanted are described in the CIA documents in great detail. So they would uh, hypnotize somebody who's uh, sometimes just a secretary in the CIA, who's a good, good hypnotic subject. They hypnotize her. They implant a code, which could be a tone on the telephone, could be a hand signal, could be a series of numbers. And then she comes out of hypnosis. She's carrying on with her day, and somebody does the the tone, hand signal, or says the code, she switches into her hypnotized state. She goes and retrieves some documents or hands off what she thinks is a bomb. Or in one case, in one case, pulls the trigger on what she thinks is a loaded gun to kill a military officer that she knows. Mm. Of course, it was all uh, not real bullets. 
so the, all these things are described in great detail uh, in the CIA documents. They actually happened for sure. And so those kind of things went on. You know, so they're, it's plausible, it's possible, and hypnosis played a big role in all of this in MKUltra. There's nothing about it that's impossible or that doesn't exactly fit other experiments and other projects that are actually done for sure documented. Is it possible for, for a post-hypnotic suggestion to last for 50 years? Well, the skeptics will say no, but how do they know? Yeah, so, sure it never, yeah, it never happened to them, right? But post-hypnotic suggestions are like completely validated in the hypnosis literature. There's no question mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. And they can last, it sounds like months to years in the, uh, so this is, now we're getting into Manchurian candidates. Mm -hmm. So that's somebody who had uh, multiple personality created experimentally by the military or the CIA. They have implanted codes and signals, and those codes and signals are used to switch them into their programmed identity to carry out whatever mission. And so the intervals are not exactly stated in the documents, but it seems it's at least months and maybe years. So th this is what the CIA and the military say, that it can last at least months or years. Another question another survivor asked is, Priest Joseph Maskell used many tricks on me. He thought I was asleep. Another man was in the room, and I heard the words truth serum. I thought, I'm screwed now. What would truth serum do? Well, truth serum is usually used for sodium amytal. So there's a whole sodium amytal literature. It was used by psychiatrists. And it's a, a barbiturate medication that you can give IV. And so in the Second World War, there were soldiers who went into fugue states. That is, they're wandering around behind the the main front, they're lost, they don't know who they are, and they're given sodium amytal, which basically is just like getting them drunk. It just gets you stoned. If you get too stoned, you actually fall asleep, and it releases your inhibitions, and all of a sudden, your identity comes back. Um, and it's been used some up until the 80s, kind of faded out for one reason, because insurance companies wouldn't pay for it, but it can be, it's very useful in contemporary psychiatry when somebody's catatonic, that is they're totally frozen, they're not moving, they're not eating, they're not drinking. Uh, one of the things you can do is give them either a Valium type drug or sodium amytal and they just come out of it, which I did uh, with one person back in Canada before I moved to the US. So she's just lying there, not speaking, not moving, not eating, not drinking. And I started IV, I did it myself start an IV, in goes the sodium amytal. Within five minutes, she sits up, gives me a whole history, goes to the restroom, eats lunch, and never goes back into catatonia. So truth, truth serum has many uses, but it's not actually truth serum. It just loosens you up. And so it may make you say things that are true, or it may just make you mixed up. I have another question. This is also from a survivor at PO. I was admitted to the hospital with anorexia. Now, this was when she was in high school. I would be in Maskell's office at school all day. I started passing out in the evening from not eating. I had to promise my family I would eat. I am now obese. I'm not anorexic. Back then, I was very thin. I think nobody thought to feed me. 
could Maskell have tried to make me dependent on him even for food? Sure. Nothing surprising about that. Why would he not have, given all the other twisted, bizarre, cruel, criminal things that he did? Why not try and use food? If you're going to use Jesus and God to control and manipulate people and use them for sexual activities, people equals children, why would you not use food? Another question from another survivor is, Maskell measured our pupils after my friend and I took a hit of something called four-way sunshine acid. Maskell asked me what I was seeing. My friend was just crawling around the room. I told Maskell I saw circles, triangles, squares, and I felt like I was falling from one to another. My question is, was this LSD pure? Or could it, could it have been bought from a dealer on campus? I remember Maskell giving me a glass of milk, and I said, look, you can see the little dog swimming in the milk. Well, so basically, I don't know. Either is possible. And so this raises the whole question, what was he doing and why was he doing it? So one possible answer is he's just doing it for kicks. It's just one more weird thing he was doing. Another is he was seeing if it, somehow could help him get better control or maybe the person wouldn't remember the abuse that happened when they're high on LSD. Or it could be that, again, he's connected to something a little more organized and it's part of some kind of mind control program, which is where the codes come up. Measuring the pupils was probably just LSD. If it was LSD, it taken effect. The next question actually goes back to something you said earlier, Dr. Ross. And again, I want our listeners to understand that we are reading these questions exactly the way they were sent to us. So if they sound a little convoluted or a little confused, it's because the person asking it is feeling that way. And this question is, I was given a numeric code. I was afraid this code would make me shoot someone. Maskell had a lot of guns. Maskell would have me watch films on an old movie reel. I remember hearing the projector machine. I could not remember the films, but how does a numeric code work? Well, it's just uh, one form, of, like I was saying earlier, one form of post-hypnotic signal. So how likely is this to be a random coincidence that exactly what she's saying Maskell did is described exactly in CIA documents from 10-ish years earlier? Mm-hmm. that somebody was programmed, they were given a numeric code to switch them into their post-hypnotic uh, identity, and one of the people thought that on command she was killing somebody. So, so it's exactly the same scenario. So these things have happened. So again, back to why would somebody who's that weird, that distorted, that sick, that organized a pedophile not do stuff like that? The next survivor's question starts out as his hypnosis started with a watch, then later no watch. I would just lay down and relax from my shoulders to my toes. Blank time would follow. Why can't I remember? Well, the watch was this sort of standard thing in hypnosis, 50s, 60s, etc., which kind of gone out of fashion now. So that's interesting because it fits that time period. Uh, and it's, again, just basic standard hypnosis literature information that after somebody has been hypnotized a few times and they get the hang of it, either self-hypnosis or being hypnotized by another person, it gets easier to do. So then you don't need the watch anymore. 
why would you not remember would be nobody remembers everything about everything in their lives like what did i have for lunch two days before my 11th birthday i've got the faintest idea so it could be just be normal forgetting or it could be hypnotic commands programming that you are instructed not to remember and it could just be that your mind is protecting you from that information because it's going to be too upsetting and why bother remembering now? And the answer to why bother remembering now is because you want to remember, but also maybe you don't because why would you, but you do. That's the dilemma back and forth. The next question is, again, from a survivor. She said her she had a pediatrician in Baltimore. She was very young. She remembers going into a large room and her nose bleeding and her needing stitches. She remembers her mother being told that she shoved something up her nose, but she knows it wasn't true. Is there something else that could have happened to her to cause that problem with her nose? If this was when, well, of course, it sounds like before she was in high school, but a number of our survivors were abused by Maskell in grade school because he was moved around the archdiocese often. And so the youngest one we know about was three, and um, it goes up from there to adults, but it's possible that this was somebody that was abused by him in her elementary school. Um, is there something that would have happened to her that could have caused her nose to be bleeding? That's one I really, really can't answer. So first of all, it could just have been a spontaneous nosebleed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the doctor might have said, oh, she must have put something up her nose just because doctors say stuff like that. And there could be nothing more to it than that. What else? It, there's no reason to go, oh, nosebleed equals sexual abuse or nosebleed mm -hmm. equals anything else. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have a good answer to that one. All right, the next question starts out as, in my teens and 20s, I wore a bracelet in case I would forget my name. It was engraved with my name in the inside of it. When I was given LSD in school, I would keep myself calm with remembering things that I knew. I knew that I was a girl. I knew I had two legs, and I had to build my own confidence. Why couldn't I remember my name? Again, I don't know, but not being able to remember your name is a very well-documented, well-described feature of what's called a fugue state. So a fugue state is when you suddenly develop amnesia for your past, which can be total 100% amnesia or like 80, 90% amnesia. Uh, you, you're found wandering somewhere. You don't even know who you are. And then at some point you pop out of it, which could be soon or after weeks or months. And you may pop out spontaneously or because, like uh, I was involved in a case where the person was on the radio or on TV in one city in Canada because he didn't know who he was, he was found and brought to the hospital and so on. And his wife in another city in Canada was watching the news program. Oh, that, that's where he is. Called up. He came back, or she went to visit him. When he saw her, all of a sudden he popped back to his normal self, but he didn't remember the period of the fugue, the period which was several weeks long. So that's a typical part of dissociative fugue, typical symptoms. So, like I said with the war example, so people don't just go into these dissociative fugues because everything is fine. So it could be because they're in combat. 
it could be tied into sexual abuse, could be tied into Maskell. It doesn't necessarily mean it was like controlled or engineered by Maskell. It's just a highly traumatized, dissociative person who's spontaneously going in and out of these different states. So that's what I would say about that. Mm-hmm. And why couldn't you remember your name? That's just the way it goes with those states of mind. It's just so heartbreaking when you think about somebody having to wear a bracelet with their name on it. You know, an intelligent person who's been taken advantage of has to wear a bracelet to identify themselves. It's just so hard hard to think about. Absolutely. And there's a a few cases that was on TV some years ago where the woman had taken off several times and she actually ended up tattooing her name and phone number on her arm. Mm, So sad. Well, the next question has to do with drugs again. I was given LSD and mescaline. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, that's right, mescaline. It stripped me of all feeling. I was purely numb inside, so I had feelings to kill myself if I told anybody what was happening. Now I'm 62. I've told this too many times. I no longer get waves. Is this common in MK Ultra victims? Again, I can't exactly that because nobody's interviewed dozens and dozens of MKUltra or other mind control victims who've been given LSD and you know, written a paper about it and here's what they found and here's what they saw. But in general, for abuse victims to have waves of feeling like they want to kill themselves and then with age or with therapy, it just kind of settles down and fades out and doesn't happen anymore. That's common. The next survivor's question specifically deals with the CIA's program, specifically for MKUltra or MK Search. Would the CIA choose to use girls in those programs, or do you feel that Maskell could have been rogue, who just maybe he was someone who wanted, wanted to be in the CIA and a part of that program? Uh, well, both are possible. So in the CIA documents, uh, MKUltra and related projects, uh, it describes the girls, but they're more like 19-year-old secretaries, not six-year-olds. So there's no documents describing sexual abuse or really complicated mind control experiments on young children. But G.H. Estabrooks, who was at Colgate College in Upper State New York, uh, described in great detail, uh, the earliest was in 1943, and the last published time was in early 1970s. And uh, I have in my files, which I got from Colgate College, um, correspondence back and forth between him and uh, senior FBI people, correspondence back and forth over several decades between him and J. Edgar Hoover, uh, documentation that he's teaching uh, use of hypnosis in military operations to personnel on Army bases, that senior military people are coming to Colgate College to attend conferences and that uh, leading hypnosis experts cleared at top secret under MKUltra were connected to him, interacting with him, attending the same conferences. So Mr. Brooks had a project finishes in upstate New York. So I know for a fact he was interested in children. I know for a fact he created the Manchurian candidates on contract to the War Department in the Second World War, as I have the contract itself. I have the detailed descriptions of that in his writings. So I don't think he was like you know, just 
interested in toenail fungus in children. He's obviously pursuing some kind of hypnosis, mentoring, candidate, brainwashing agenda with children, but we don't have any details about it at all. Then that conclusion is, yeah, these things are all realistically possible. That uh, there could have been still classified CIA programs on sexual abuse programming of little girls. It's also totally possible he was just a rogue wannabe guy. The second part to their question is kind of the, maybe the psychological type of question, but it, it starts out as, well, I remember what happened as I grow more comfortable with myself. Will I ever be able to get to a place where I don't feel like I was programmed? So if you were, in fact, programmed, why would you get, want to get to a place where you feel like you weren't programmed if you were? So I guess what the question really means is, will I get to a place where I'm not like tormented by it or constantly preoccupied with it or it's really taking up a lot of time and energy? That's possible, but in mental health, there's very few guarantees. That seems to be the uh, question that comes up, the conversation that comes up very often because, you know, these women are in their 60s and they are desperate to feel normal and they don't. And, you know, the damage was done 50 years ago, and they just, it's like they just are like thirsting for some kind of normalcy where will I ever get there? And the, old, the oldest person I've ever heard about, which was described to me by a therapist at a conference, was a person who started treatment for DID at age 80 and got mm -hmm. integrated at age 83. And what does that mean, integrated? all blended back into one person. So you're not hearing voices in your head. You're not having mm -hmm. periods of missing time. You remember what you remember. You feel like it all happened to you. Uh, so you're just basically all blended back into one person. Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention, Dr. Ross, before I ask the next question, is there was a uh, psychiatrist that the Archdiocese of Baltimore had a contract with and he traveled to different schools, and he was authorized to administer certain tests and to evaluate uh, students. And he was very close friends with Joseph Maskell. And if you watch The Keepers, you may have remembered that a lot of documents were dug up in the cemetery. Right, and, I do remember that. Yeah, but but now we, we didn't get our hands on the documents, so. Well, no, but we found a, a TV station that actually had a video of the documents. Right. And a photographer worked with us and was able to enlarge and enhance and turn them into still photos. And we found that they were um, personality tests with a scale that would have been used to screen possible candidates for susceptibility, um, whether or not they trusted people. And Maskell was not authorized to give these but the doctor who was on loan to the school was. His name, he died last year. His name was William Urban. And he certainly would have had access to that, those tests. And we have heard from like hundreds of alumni who said they were given that test in a classroom um, in their freshman year. And then depending on how they scored, they were called into his office and it was given to him again given to them again. And we really feel like um, Urban and the, it was called the, I'm just going to say it, the Psychology Associates, a number of those psychiatrists 
also abused young girls, and we don't really understand what the connection was, whether there was a connection with the government, but those doctors did have access to tests that Maskell would not have been permitted to administer, and a lot of that was used for him to screen his prey. So um, we do know that's what was partly what was in the dig because we took the pictures that we had, sent it to the American Psychology Association, and they identified the tests for us, and those were definitely personality tests. Right. So um, I published a book called Surviving Evil, mm -hmm. uh, which is a woman's story of being a victim of CI mind control experimentation at Vermont State Hospital. And uh, she could compete with you guys in terms of how long she stayed with it, how many Freedom of Information Act requests, all the documents she gathered. And so in her medical record is the name Robert Hyde, who was a top secret cleared LSD contractor under MKUltra. And there's mm -hmm. numerous other connections into MKUltra uh, from the doctors uh, who were at the hospital. And this includes the uh, CIA program, all fully documented, and the name of the guy and the name of the psychological test, who was a CIA officer. And these tests were widely administered uh, at schools and other locations in Vermont and throughout the United States. That's absolutely a fact. Now, are most of those, you said it was in her medical records, but are most of those documents, were they destroyed by the CIA when the program officially came to an end? Uh, well, that's the mythology. So you never know for what the real story is. But the mythology is that... Uh, the head of the CIA in 1972-3 ordered the destruction of all the MKUltra documents. And somehow, through bureaucratic error, seven boxes of documents survived and were later, by accident, found in a storage warehouse. And those are all the MKUltra documents that we have. And are those declassified? Or yeah, they were, de they were declassified in the 70s when all these Senate hearings were going on. Right. We have like a dozen researchers from, the, from our Keepers followers who are doing the research for us looking for connections. And so we do really well with crowdsourcing. But um, I... So two avenues I would go at. So Joyce uh, Malecki, was, who's in the Keepers, was the, yes. or her relatives are, was uh, murdered just a few days after Sister Kathy, right? Correct. Correct. Do you remember the location that her body was dumped? Yes, it was on an army base. Yeah, Fort Meade. So yep. I'd investigate that as a non-random dumping site. We have submitted FOIA requests five years ago to get her files, and it's 4,000 pages. And Abby, who is my partner in crime, she yeah. did the paperwork, and it's still listed as awaiting an analyst. The yeah, that's the, that's the FBI, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's in the keepers. I remember that. Right. The family has been told nothing. Now, the autopsy and her body was taken to the hospital on the Army base. Um, at the same time, because of Sister Kathy's murder, the Baltimore County Police Department and the FBI had a joint commission because somebody was telling the truth and they thought that the cases were connected. 
So our contacts in the police department for Baltimore County have been able to look at those files, but they can't copy anything or take anything. And we have had our senators try. I mean, the government's breaking the law right now, not giving us the files, but, you know, for us to to sue them would be ridiculous because that would right. take longer and money, which we don't right, have. Right. And we are, we don't know what else to do. I don't have an answer for you on that, except that nobody can covers make, up, nobody covers up nothing, right? Can you make something up? No. <laughs> <laughs> what would you, what would you, I mean, we are like, we are determined to help that family. I just keep pounding on the same doors you've been pounding on local politicians, people with influence, mm -hmm. as far up the chain as you get in the FBI, federal government people, attorney general, who, whoever you can go after. Mm -hmm. Well, the attorney general in Maryland is now conducting a criminal investigation as Pennsylvania did. So right. to see if there should be a grand jury convened. And they've been wonderful. So well, I'm good. wondering if maybe that would be an avenue that we could pursue. So you guys have got more expertise than I do on all this. <laughs> it's it's a hard one, but I'm in this for the for the duration, so I'm not going anywhere. So this next question is I was at Hopkins in sixty-four. I was eight years old. I remember having a drug liquid pink. They gave me an EEG. I did not like the man giving giving it to me. He had long hair and was Spanish looking. Have any others complained of this procedure? Um, well, first of all, all, all kinds of kids get EEGs just in normal neurology because they might have seizures or something might be going on. So it could have just been something was going on, went to the family doctor. They said, oh, well, for, better get a neurologist. The neurologist says, better do an EEG. And the the liquid was just to relax you or was part of the EEG procedure. So it could be totally normal. On the other hand, I've had many patients describe complex mind control programming on in labs and military bases with doctors in white coats where EEG was used. Do you know specifically how that would have how that would have happened? Like what would they be using the EEG for? Well the EEG measures your brain waves. So in normal, just everyday medicine, you're trying to see if there's some abnormal brain waves that are causing the seizures, or there's something you know specific wrong with your brain. In this more mind control programming kind of area, uh, there's a guy at uh, Tulane who was funded by the CIA and various branches of the military, and he describes. Uh, mescaline and LSD both that we were talking about earlier, he would have a hole, a port in the person's skull, pour either LSD or mescaline into the person's brain and measure the effects on their EEG and publish those papers in journals. So it's all just tracking how the brain reacts to whatever it is you're doing to the person. The next question is, I was given LSD. I was tripping all night long in my room at my house. Maskell was on the phone with me asking, what I was experiencing. The next day, he took me into his office. I saw a note on his desk written to somebody saying he had a girl who was on LSD and he wanted to see what she would do. Could he have been reporting back to somebody about us? So it's, it's the same answer, possibly. But 
my main point here is so it's just there was a note on his desk he's writing to his some other priest down the road or something or it could be he's reporting to somebody who's part of an organized pedophile ring part of the military part of the cia uh so my main point is this is not just crazy ridiculous hysterical conspiracy theory by a bunch of women this kind of stuff happens did happen has happened is absolutely real so i have uh copies of correspondence back and forth between different cia officers talking about um was called operation midnight climax which was mostly in san francisco but a little bit in uh, new york and this guy george white who is a basically a government officer in the bureau of narcotics which is the precursor of the dea um he they built a safe room i have like the requisitions and everything for the safe room the budget for the project and there was a one-way mirror in there and they hired prostitutes who would go out to bars pick up guys bring them back dose them with lsd without their knowing have sex with them with the cia officers watching through the one-way mirror absolute documented fact and uh, one documentary i watched some years ago they actually uh, found the the building that was used to for the safe house and the actual address and the street and everything in san francisco but in this letter the one cia officer was saying to the other one that it's a pretty complicated thing trying to create these jekyll hyde personalities so what's going on there why is he saying it's difficult to create jekyll hyde personalities which you can't do by picking a guy up at a bar and dosing him with LSD once. So clearly the Jekyll Hyde personalities would have to be the prostitutes, which mm. would then mean that they were uh, creating mentoring and candidate prostitutes and testing them out in the field to see how they performed. And they were dosing the guys with LSD just so they'd be all confused, mixed up, and discredited, couldn't tell anybody. So that's, that's stuff that actually happened. And those are the possibilities that follow logically based on documentation. Because we know there was Manchurian candidate experiments. We know the CIA was interested in that. So again, it's not crazy conspiracy theory at all. And so it's perfectly possible that Maskell was reporting back to somebody and they were recruiting dissociated children for their own uses. Mm-hmm. But do I know for a fact? No, I don't. No, we understand that. Yeah, the last question we have for you is actually about the drugs. What is the duration from ingestion of LSD to onset? And this came from a survivor who actually is a psychotherapist. So she's got like 18,000 questions in here. <laughs> how, how long do the effect last? Are there different effects for each individual? Um, is it a substance akin to Ambien? I don't know what that is. In terms uh, Am- of- Ambien's a sleep medication, okay. commonly prescribed sleep medication. Okay. Totally different class of drug from LSD. Okay. And what would be the most common mode of delivery at that time in terms of LSD? Pills, liquid, paper, what would, it, what would have been used? Probably liquid paper, just like was being used on the street. Sugar cubes, liquid. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so if, if somebody took it, how long would it take before it took effect? Well, the first question is, was it LSD that you actually got? Which we mm-hmm. don't know for sure, because there's many different hallucinogens. 
but sort of ballparkish typical thing for LSD is it's 20, 30 minutes, maybe you're really into the trip by 40, 50 minutes, and it lasts kind of six to eight hours, maybe up to 10 hours, but you're pretty much out of it by 10 hours. That's kind of like the typical time frame, which mm -hmm. can vary from person to person. Mm -hmm. But it, it never lasts like, unless you take a very, very weak dose. If you take a full street dose, it never lasts for just one hour. And it doesn't last for three days. Keep at it, keep at it. You guys have done an amazing job against a very big mountain of resistance and none of it emotionally easy for you guys. <clears throat> so I greatly admire your sticking with it, how you've pieced it all together. And hopefully if you keep at it, something will happen sometime. It's a little bit more definitive. Yeah. I really believe that you're sharing with us today what you did is going to answer a lot of questions for people who uh, were in this situation and maybe give them some closure or relief, although it was terrible and they're still suffering from it, but at least maybe they understand it better. Well, I'm glad if I can help the tiniest bit. The final question I have for you, Dr. Ross, from everything that, I, that I've heard you talk about when it comes to the MK Ultra program and the CIA. I know that you mentioned to us earlier today that you finished watching this, The Keepers. From the information that you gathered from there, as well as the, the information about Father Masco and his involvement with Johns Hopkins and the abuse that he was putting on all of these people, Gemma and I are trying to come up with an answer on could Maskell have been a part of this program? Could the work he was doing have been a benefit of this program? Because of course there's there's a few things that don't exactly fall in line with just a plain, uh, and I hate saying a plain uh, pedophile ring. So in, in your opinion, after watching The Keepers, do you think that this could be a possibility? Could he have been involved with the CIA program? Uh, definitely. We know the CIA and the FBI, you know, have a cult watch and a cult watch list, and they keep track of all kinds of potential terrorists and potential this, that, and the other people of all different races and all different ideologies. So we know that they monitor all the time. We know there was an operation called Cointel Pro, uh, which was infiltrating student union organizations back in the 60s. Uh, we know that from documents that they had a large mail intercept program where they're intercepting people's mail, opening it, reading it, resealing it, sending it on. Uh, so there's tons and tons of surveillance. We know that for a fact. Wait, so the possibilities, possibilities would be it had nothing to do with anything except Maskell and a few other guys. Mm -hmm. Another would be it was actually organized by some outside entity or sort of in between, that the outside entity knew what was going on, they weren't running it, they weren't paying for it, but they were just observing it, watching, getting him to report back for their interests. All those are realistic possibilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we feel like Sister Kathy knew too much and she was collateral damage. They couldn't afford to have her around because she was the one that was willing to do something about what was happening. and. Unfortunately, that put her in jeopardy. So, another so possibility is that Joyce was basically uh, a misdirection, that she was killed to make it look like 
there's either a serial killer or a bunch of random killings going on. And mm -hmm. just like Joyce, Kathy was one too. Right. right. That's another possibility. Yeah. We so appreciate your time and that you sat through seven hours of, of <laughs> what I'm even in your field. I'm sure it's not easy to see that, but, um, Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. You're most welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.